This show is brought to you in association with football charity, Football Aid. It's a charity very close to my heart and raises monies for diabetes charities. I'm on the board and at the moment we are running um, a special donation campaign. The campaign basically is to raise extra monies for Football Aid and obviously what's a very difficult time for a variety of charities in the UK and around the world. And the idea is to donate £10 by texting FOOTY, that's F-O-O-T-Y, to the text number 70085. That's texting FOOTY to 70085 to support a fantastic charity. I hope you will do. And this is only obviously for UK um, listeners. Thanks in advance. Myself, Anes and Shah, chatted with Michele Renuso, VP of Operations from Rock Nation, talking about athlete management. We were speaking on Clubhouse and were joined by a number of other friends uh, and agents that were involved in the sports agency, specifically on the athlete management side. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, I, I do find it quite weird being the, uh, the sort of moderator or the, the person that tries to join everything in generally, but um, I will definitely try and uh, do my best. And, and really, this was, as Michaela, as you know, and to everyone listening, and thanks to everyone for joining, this was um, sort of a bit of an idea that Essen and I had um, a few weeks ago. So I always love things sort of coming to fruition, really, which is, which is great. And what we wanted to try and do was to have some pretty unfiltered conversations with people, market leaders in the, the sports and entertainment space um, talking about particular areas of interest to people and and not really try and make it too superficial is the truth, but to go into a bit of detail. The, the idea isn't this, is, this isn't really a sort of 101 into um, the sports business. This is sort of drilling down some detail and getting beyond the the types of normal narratives that, um, that we speak about. So, um, yeah, Michele, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, really, it probably I should um, hand over to Essen to give the maybe an intro um, as to S what you do generally. But then, obviously, um, you know, both of us have known Michele for some time, and and the idea then is to when um, you know Michele has given us his pearls of wisdom or um, lots of interesting insight, <laughs> then we can <laughs> then we can open up the the floor to some. Um, conversations um, with, with everyone else. That's why I've seen there's the great thing about Clubhouse generally, which is, you know, this is, this is a collaborative platform and that's the really cool thing. Um, and I'm really, really excited to try and have some of those conversations with people and add a bit of uh, value to the debate too. So I might just hand over to Esna. Cool, now, perfect. And yeah, I guess, as Dan's mentioned, this is one of those things that we always have conversations privately over the phone about things in the industry or kind of experiences but not enough people probably speak publicly on it they maybe sugarcoat certain parts of the industry which is to sell the industry or sell the life within the industry but i think it's worthwhile having these kind of groups or conversations which dive into certain hard conversations to have like we just briefly spoke there about the h&m stuff like there's an elephant in the room there's there's issues around everything that we do so let's have those hard conversations let's tackle them straight on so I guess a bit of an introduction to myself or what I do. We work with a number of different players and brands on their sports marketing strategies to bring those campaigns to life. And I think that's where I met Michele when he was at Puma. So I'll briefly give a bit of an introduction to Michele. He was working at Puma for a number of years on managing the athletes that they were 
um, sponsored or par- partnering with. And since then, Mikel has kind of built his network within the sports space, working with, I want to say, hundreds of different athletes. I've seen his um, kind of approach to it, approach to agents, approach to family members, approach to players within there. And it's, in my opinion, like a very fresh approach that we don't always see within the industry. And we can kind of talk about that in a bit. But now Mikel is VP at Rock Nation, so working on their football strategy and how to build their football business within Europe, Europe, I guess. So that's a brief introduction to Michele. So Michele, given that introduction and kind of what the objective is of this room, right? So I'm just really interested to hear what what you think it is like managing an athlete and what you think are the pros and cons and kind of the, your experiences behind it, really. So, well, it's a loaded question. First of all, thanks both to you. Um, for the intro and of course quickly <laughs> to summarize what I'm doing I don't think there is so much more to add from my end um, and thanks for having me and I mean one thing I can definitely promise um, is uh, I will always stay true to myself and authentic and um, I really really dislike political bullshit and when people try to to bullshit me yeah, or waste my time that's what I'm always saying to everyone um, please do me a favor be straight and honest because then at the end of the day um everyone feels I think much better with the situation we're in instead of like yeah trying to to bypass some some important information so um well what is it about, what is it to to manage um athletes I think it's a very interesting question how does it feel I mean at the end of the day the most important thing is they're also human beings right so whatever we do what I try to do is think about okay how would I feel um in their shoes so how would I feel? How would I approach things? What would I expect from people? And I think that's always important to keep in mind. Yeah, because I know, especially in the industry, especially in that artificial, um, let's say, football bubble, yeah, people try to really always get a piece of the cake somehow. And they don't think ahead. Is it a long, like a long-term game we're in? Or is it, well, because all of us hope going to work a little bit longer than only five years or two years, right? Um so I would like to, to stay longer in, in, in industry, meaning whatever I do, of course, has an immediate impact on my environment, but also my future. So how is it to, to manage athletes? Um, I think it, it's, a, it's a tough one because at the end of the day, again, we're dealing um, with humans' lives and that has an impact, of course, on their life. Yeah. So Yeah, no. I think it's interesting what you said there as well, that the human, right? So what we always say is humanizing athletes. Now, the, the difficult part is it's like managing a team. Every single person is different. So there's no one way of a template to say, okay, this is a template to use, go and do it, right? So in terms of like your approach, how do you kind of then filter that approach down to your team? Because for me, I've always struggled on that, which is I have a way of thinking of how I can deal with someone or how I think we should manage an athlete. But not necessarily everyone everyone on your team can either, one, deliver that or two, maybe think the same way. So how have you found it from your t- time at Puma, your time at Rock Nation? How, how do you approach that? I think it's really important to, to be very open and then, of course, lead by example, right? I can't tell uh, my team or my peers to do a certain thing as I would not do it myself. So what I always try is to really over-communicate, to, to give examples, to make them part of the process. So if I'm doing something, I'm very transparent. I openly tell them, okay, this is how I do it. 
but it's not something I can impose to you. I, would not, I want you to copy. I want you to see how I do it. Yeah. And then you can define for yourself if you feel that this is something you've, it's good for you or your athlete. So, but communication is absolutely important and very important is also to keep your head always down because if you believe that you're better than anyone else, you won't go anywhere. That's my clear um, philosophy, right? Again, we're human beings and we should treat, treat each other with, with due respect. So the minimum I can expect from everyone, everyone is, is due respect, right? So communication is key for me. Michele, can I ask a, a point there because it's something we've talked about um, for quite a while and whenever we catch up and have chats and obviously before lockdown and corona, um, you know, we would always uh, recommend a few books to each other and the rest. And there's a, there's a brilliant book that I, I sort of finished reading and it's nothing to do with any of our clients generally, but it's called Surrounded by Idiots. And it talks all about... <laughs> people with lots of different personality traits and how to get the best out of people and how to understand particular traits to then work better and more productive ultimately with people. You obviously must, um, across your time, obviously at Puma before and now at Rock, um, have a vast array of experience at how to deal with different personalities because not what S and I were talking about before, it's not necessarily just the player anymore really is the truth. It's the family, um, it's the wider friendship group. Um, and uh, in a positive sense, it's the entourage, sometimes negative entourage, but usually positive entourage. How, how, how have you gone about developing those soft skills, which are obviously as important as the hard skills of getting the deals done and getting the, the deals right? Hmm, that's a good question. I think a lot is based, of course, on, uh, on my own experiences. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to, to become a professional footballer myself. So, well, I was, of course, never on that level, but I think I was in a on a semi-pro level where um, I saw a lot of downs or downsides to the business and disadvantages rather than the, the ups. And of course, when I, well, you have basic chats, right? Um, with, with your people, with your friends, really important to me was always that my family had a major impact on me and of course my friends as well, because no matter what we do, if I fall, if I fail with anything, I know that they always carry me, right? And they, they will always give me an honest opinion if I think that I'm, for whatever reason, I'm lose ground, I can assure you that they always put me back. <laughs> so, which really was helpful. So I think I developed a lot of my soft skills via my own experiences, as well as um, thanks to my friends and my family. Michele, also there, I know Daniel kind of just spoke about it. And I know, I know this was a topic for later on, but I'd rather just kind of talk about it now. There's a big issue when it comes to people around players, right? So whether that's family, friends, whatever it might be, they can be positive influences, they can be negative influences. Now, there's obviously there's been press and kind of a bit more attention around agents playing players. Now, that's a small percentage of the market, but where do you think that's all come from? Do you think that's come from people around the players demanding it or, or what? Yeah, I mean... Um... Let's say because there's so much money involved now and because, of course, a lot of players, a lot of kids, I'm, I'm referring to kids now, yeah, they have talent, right? And they will, well, if you look at it now, the scouting, it starts much earlier than back in the time when I was playing or maybe when Danny was playing, right? So there, when you were playing football, you enjoyed just the game. And I think that's hopefully still um, the matter for all the kids when they start to play and when they obviously progress. But the problem is nowadays that because there's so much more money involved, and because the values changed, yeah, of course, the people around them or surround them, they want to have a piece of the cake. 
And that puts a lot of pressure on these kids, especially when they're from rough areas, right? And then again, everyone tries to, to survive and then, well, then escape probably this, this life they're in in that moment. I personally think it's the absolute wrong um, signal you can give a family or, or, or even a kid. Because first of all, it puts, it, puts them under pressure big time. So you can't really develop as a human being and as a kid. He won't even probably put so much emphasis on his school because, I mean, education is, is so important nowadays, right? But they neglect probably schooling and all that just because they want to, well, carry the team or carry the family, rather. Um, so I think especially the, the agents or the people around um, these talents have such a important role and responsibility which unfortunately is often like completely abused just because of greed and, and, and because they want to have a piece of the cake, my personal opinion. And again, I'm speaking here completely on behalf of myself, yeah? That's only down to my own experiences, but that is something I'm absolutely condemning because I think it's the wrong message and it's absolutely wrong nowadays. Cool, no, I appreciate that. And did you have that humor as well where people around the players were maybe demanding other things that weren't necessarily that impactful for the player themselves, whether it's outside of the boots <laughs> or whatever. Oh, if I tell you, I mean, I had so many and probably if not my, my colleagues would, would hear that. I mean, I had so many conversations where, and it's so funny because it, often if agents or people, whoever is then approaching you and they're telling you, I mean, how amazing their kid is and, and it's the next Messi or Ronaldo. And, and of course it's all about the marketing strategy. When I was at my Chami Puma, and how we market the player, et cetera, et cetera. And you roll it out and you work it out. But at the end of the day, <laughs> they come back, okay, but now we need to talk about figures because that's all nice, but the price tag has to be the right as well, the right one as well. So it's very often that people only go for the money. Short-term thinking over long-term vision. That's unfortunately um, not for everyone. I would not generalize for everyone, but that's unfortunately what's what pretty often happened in, in the industry from my personal experience. No, cool. Appreciate that. I know, I know we've got a few kind of people within the athlete representation side of things within the room, and I know, well, Mark's in the area to be able to speak as well. So I don't know if Mark or Hugo, you, you guys have any, any opinion when it comes to managing an athlete and the people that go around them? Um, hi, hi, Essen, Michaela, Dan. Hey, Mark. Hi, guys. Um, where'd you start? Um, being an agent, uh, people say we work on the dark side. Um, I, I think it's an unfair criticism of agents. I think what we are is a support network for the player. Um, we're a support network for the family. We're trying to guide them, giving them our best advice. At the end of the day, that's all we can do based on our knowledge and our experience. And I think the thing that I say to my clients and to young players is and to families is it's a business and you're going into a, a very um, brutal competitive environment and in any other walk of life and i said this so many times these are kids you know 16 15 16 17 uh, could potentially run out in front of sixty thousand people have been at clubs actually signed to clubs since six years old so they're children and they don't have any experience, but they're being groomed um, to play at the highest level, uh, which is professional league football. So I mean, football. And it's very, very tough. And 
The clubs have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to all work together for the good of that player. The problem is, is that the expectations often of families and sometimes the players is, is too much. And when they hit the brick wall, when they get released, there isn't a leaving party. It's just you gone, your history. And that's why, what is it, 95% don't make it. So it's very, very tough. And there is no fantasy to it. You've got to work hard. And when you earn a contract, that's exactly what you do. You've earned it. You know, I ask a player, I always ask a young player, what does an agent do? And they say to me, oh, well, you find me a club. I don't find you a club. You find yourself a club by what you do, how you perform. So there's a lot to it. And as you guys know, on and off the pitch, we offer, I think we all do in our own different ways, a 360 service on and off the pitch, everything. Anything that needs to, to help and support that, that journey, we're there for. And it, and it can be some of the most unusual things, dealing with girlfriends, dealing with issues to do with, you know, I smashed my car up and, I, you know, things just, just basic, but just that they can go and focus on what they have to do, which is to play football. So, yeah, it's, it's competitive. No, it's thank- not as straightforward as people make it. Thanks for that, Mark. No, I, I think it's, um, yeah, really interesting insight. And I know that from a lot of the work that, um, I've seen you do over the years, um, uh, it, it's a tough existence generally. And if it's possible, I'm just going to bring Hugo into the, the, the conversation as well for, for his view, because, um, we've known Hugo, I've known Hugo for a while based on, um, work that he's done, um, at various clubs, including Southampton and, and West Ham. And Mark touched on the point that, um, you know, ultimately you're necessarily doing the, not necessarily the most glamorous things for, for players at different times. So in terms of on the agency side, when you're managing an athlete, Hugo, you've seen what it's like managing an athlete from, from the club side. I'm just interested to know whether you'd want to share any of those experiences too. Yeah. Thank, thanks for having me, guys. I think it's, it's difficult because you're, you're, you're trying to protect the club's biggest asset. And that's kind of how I'm trying to sell player care at the moment is that player care is a way that the clubs can reduce risk of their players not succeeding because at the end of the day, a lot of the risk is on the club rather than on the player or on the, on the agent or on the family or whatever. The, the club is the one that pays the, pays the salaries. The club is the one that's paid a lot of money for that player. And so what we're trying to do is, is again, the same as Mark is, is reduce the, Distraction so that they can concentrate on the football, but also try and make sure that we shorten the transition period in so that they can hit the ground running. And I think, you know, when you're talking about entourages, I think there's, I think has been already mentioned, there's, there's definitely positive sides to it. And we've seen some really good people who, you know, probably on first appearance, you're like, it's a mate that lives with a guy, doesn't seem to do many anything, but actually, He's the one that keep, talks to the player, keep him happy. And so, you know, that's, that's what the player wants. That's, that's important. And I think it, there's a difference between having, negative influences which we try and sort of be that gatekeeper towards and the positive influences which we try and encourage and, and make sure they feel part of it and I think you know I've had players who who don't necessarily have a girlfriend or, or live in with someone but their mum is their number one person so we make sure that they're treated the same as you know the wives or, or whatever when they come to the game and given that VIP status but also if there are people who are kind of in the players lounge maybe or players like oh he's a pain in the ass you know we'll make sure that they're they're moved away so it's really trying to be that gatekeeper and help the players make their own decisions but have the, the right information around them 
yeah, just Hugo, on that point, you know, where you just say giving them the right information, I think one of the key things that some sometimes we try to relay within the team, and I know people like Mark and Dan see this firsthand with, with some of our team, is educating our team to provide rationale and a pathway to the athlete to show them, okay, we are doing this, but it is for this reason and it, the outcome will be this. And I find it so interesting that sometimes you come across people that are managing athletes and they ultimately speak to them as if they're children or they're incompetent of doing their own thing. So that balance of being able to, one, take care of what needs to be done to help them with whatever it might be, but also that allowing them to be able to learn to be able to do that themselves because post-career, your agent might not be there, your player liaison officer might not be there. So how do you at a club, then manage the balance of my Sky TV isn't working towards, okay, here's this tools to fix that. I think, you know, what we try and say is like, we'll give players options that we are, we are comfortable with. So what we, what we did at West Ham was when, when I started there, we had a massive issue with dodgy suppliers, ripping off players, you know, dodgy people all over the place, you know, coming from our external and so we just cleared house and we went through a really rigorous supply process where, you know, for something like financial advisors, there's 101 people messaging me wanting to give financial advice to players. So we went through a process which we we interviewed them, we met with them, we went through company's house, we went through the FCA regulated company lists, we got testimonials from other clubs and we chose like three or four that would be, we said, look, we've done due diligence on these guys meet with all of them, meet with one of them, meet with three at random, two at random, whatever you want, or pick your own person. What we're giving you here is options that you can choose that we're comfortable, they're not going to you know, be bad people. But what I think what I've found with players, if you say that person's bad, you can't use them, they will automatically go towards them because they'll be like, well, I'm not listening to you. You know, like, like I'm, I'm my own person. So we always just say, look, these, this is our recommendation. Choose it or not. We'll be here to pick up the pieces if you have issues. But if you say, like, you can't do that, it it never seems to work. And that's my my, my department philosophy while I, while I was at West Ham was always no, dot, 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 but. No, but here's an acceptable solution that's legal and, and that kind of fits all your parameters that you're going to be happy with. Rather than just saying no, they'll always find, there'll always be someone who'll say yes and likely rip them off. So it's that kind of guiding without really telling them on on the point towards you know how do you whether do you do their sky tv for them or not i think for me i look at if 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 they miss a match say they missed a match because they they, they miss the plane because they they're going to a game and their car is attacked and the police pull them over and seize their car and they're stuck inside the motorway and they miss the plane is the manager going to go to me why don't you that was a great learning opportunity for him he's really you know he's really going to succeed from that in his later life or he's going to be like why the hell were you not doing dealing on this? This is your job. Like, sort it out. So I say, look, we're always willing to teach players how things are done, but the amount of players who want to learn how to do a direct debit with Essex County Council is pretty low. So we'd much rather get it done so that they can uh, focus on the football and not have these sort of issues impacting performance. Mark, were you going to just um, come in there? It looked like you were just going to... Just going to sort of add to what Hugo, I think the key word here um, is trust. Um, and trust is hard to find in football um, because of the nature of the industry. And I think there are, you know, from an agent's point of view, um, there are so many agents and there are lots of agents who are very good. And Michaela, would, you know, we, we all know who they are. But 
we also know who the agents who aren't good. And the problem is the regulations are allowing people to go and talk to parents, get into players, and sometimes the parents don't know who they're talking to. There's there's no trust. And I think that's the key to it. I'm entrusted to look after the players I work for. If I screw up, that's it. So if I introduce, for example, a lawyer, Dan, if it was you or whoever, I'm entrusting you with my client. And that's the key to this business. And the football clubs have to trust agents. I know they don't sometimes. I know sometimes, you know, I will protect my clients against the club, but we're all working together for the same common goal, if you excuse the pun. So the trust is implicit. And, you know, if you've had a player for five, six, seven years, um, which I have, that's because they trust me. And if they come to me, we do a lot of mentoring. We all do. As guys in the business, we mentor. We try and impart experience to these young guys who are thrown into this, this arena of spotlight, the goldfish bowl. Um, and I, and, and there's someone that I had a player recently who's been out for a year uh, through illness, through injury, um, disappeared. And people went, the conspiracies, uh, conspiracy theories were huge. Somebody rang me up. Oh, he's lost all his money. He can't pay his mortgage. You know, and this is what the guys have to deal with. So we're, we're a protection. So Hugo's got it absolutely right. It's about offering advice, but if they trust you, they'll go with with that advice. And I think that's that's central to it. I think it's an interesting point you said there, Mark, as well, around the trust aspect of it, which is within this industry where it's person to person, you ultimately have to trust that person's advice, what they're giving to you, but and also trusting their rationale behind it. And I know whether that's club side, player side, wherever it might be, and I think... Michele, kind of your, I guess, a question to you and opening it up to you a little bit. Um, when you were at Puma, how did you use to find it in terms of building the trust with the agent for them to, one, kind of understand the direction and the vision that Puma, which were a challenger brand at the time, wanted to go go down? I mean, me and you had that experience in Hector having to trust you and the team around him having to trust you with the direction and vision. And especially when the players are all asking for, I want to be centre of this marketing campaign, I want to do this, but they all forget, actually, unless you're performing on the pitch, everything else around you is completely irrelevant. So how did you use to find, one, building that trust, and then two, managing that trust and that expectation? I mean, I can't, well, and then maybe to Mark's point, yeah, it's all about trust, as you're saying. I mean, of course, it's we have a mutual interest here, obviously, to make it work, right? So if someone, if a player, a parent, whoever is coming to the agent, I mean, they might have heard something. It might have might have been a reputation, right? And they want to. Then, well, hopefully, collectively, they want to work together. So, for me at Puma, it was always I, and I'm not sure if that's basic and on experience or not. But when I had conversation with with agents and Mark, obviously, I I was also privileged to work with you back in the time. Um, you hear straight away what is the intention of the of the agent yeah, for the kid, and and I. I kind of like unmastered very fast, right? I can give the only example is when we spoke, as I said in the beginning, you told me about a vision for your player, for Hector, back in the time. You told me what, what kind of plans, and of course, this, there's never a guarantee that a player will actually develop in the way as you want to. Because again, human beings, young, I mean, when girls come into, into play, of course, when money comes into all the, all the mixes. So you never know what's happening. But at the end of the day, you gain trust via, first of all, your actions. 
And that is a really, really important um, part for me always. And one of the, uh, well, mantras is um, usually actions speak louder than any word, right? So it's about gaining trust, knowing the people, and then obviously make it work together. So um, if you work with an agent and you see that he's trustworthy, he's responsive, he's taking care of his guys, and they also trust you, obviously, with whatever you say, as an example, when I was a Puma and you said, well, guys, I can't send you this in this boot due to this rollout. It's the agent's job, obviously, to manage expectations yeah, of the player and to tell them, like, listen, you have a contract. These are the obligations. This doesn't work. And we know, unfortunately, that in the nature of the business, then the player sees that and that and says, like, why can this guy have it and not me? So that's where I see the trust and then the, the mutual interest, of course, in working together. Right, it's kind of like keeping the player under control, advising him, and and taking the right decision for the career of the kid. So I think that's one of the challenges, I believe. Yeah, and no, I think that challenge that you just said there is actually the one that is now starting to come into the industry more and more, which is maybe the players aren't understanding what they're signing up to, or they're not understanding what they're closing the door to. Because ultimately, when you sign a boot contract, you are closing the door to so much of the world that you just cannot access at all. And I think, Dan, I guess this is one for you as well. You'll probably see it more than me. How how often do you see it where an agent will come to you and say, please, can we try and do this? Although we've already signed up to it, that balancing act between knowing what you're signing up to at the start within a boot contract or a brand contract, and then the other, other flip side to it, which is either delivering the services or having conflicts of interest. Yeah, well... We, uh, we've all talked about this at different times, haven't we, really, which is the, the discussion around um, on-field value and off-field value and how sometimes those types of points can be misaligned um, just because a player's doing very well and is earning a lot of money um, um, for, for um, being employed as a, a player in the club doesn't necessarily convert to big money off the um, off the field for lots of different reasons and so sometimes there can be that misalignment and, and obviously the the important part in some of the detail um, of those off-field deals whatever it is if it's you know when I've worked with Michaela and yourself or others for a Puma deal or for Adi or for Nike or for New Balance or um, for others is it's obviously inherently important to understand what you're giving away when you sign up to a boot deal or otherwise and, and sort of what your negotiation position can be, you know, how hard you can push back on things. Because it's exactly as you said, if your main commercial deal, which is a boot deal, prohibits you from um, entering into a hair care product deal or a tech wearable deal or a skincare range, um, in a way, um, that comes back to somebody um, and it doesn't usually come back well where you're having to be reactive to particular scenarios. And we've all been there where, you know, you, you have to sort of um, um, pick up the broom and do the best you can reactively because something might have gone wrong or otherwise and try and find those middleway points. But yeah, ultimately, it's um, it can be a bit of a, a difficult path. And that's where that whole trust thing comes into play. Because sometimes I think the whole thing, what Mark and Hugo and Mikhail and yourself have said is that I think sometimes when I see it is you know players representatives they need to sometimes be able to tell it and they do as it is rather than what the player the talent wants to hear and ultimately in the short term that's a problem in a way because you've got to be able to have engendered the trust 
and the longevity and the relationship to for the talent to sometimes hear not what they want to hear but what they need to hear so i'd be really interested i know fem is obviously on the, on this as well and michaela you can certainly be really interested in your say is that there's that fine balancing act between wanting to do what's best for everyone or for the talent but at the same time understand that you might not have as much capital as you need in order for, to be able to put those messages forward um hi hi guys um okay. um Danny, you made you made a very very good point there and i think it's really odd when you find yourself in a situation where it's very easy to tell a player what he wants to hear but in the long term that really hurts him and hurts yourself as well but um we're battling against uh, a load of lines around you that if you told a player what he doesn't want to hear and you tell him very straightforward at the beginning he's going to look to people that are going to lie to him so it's a balancing act of just getting the right timing to be very honest with someone and get them to kind of buy into what you're saying and buy into your advice and like everybody said here, that's the trust that comes into it but as we all know that's built with time and that's built with maybe let's say accomplishments of doing good deals for a player or, or getting the right results from giving the player the right advice you know so it's a, it's a tough one where I've been in many situations there like I think Essa mentioned where a player will say okay I'm tired of wearing these Adidas boots now I know I've got a year left but can we get out of it and players all straight away have that sort of insomnia of forgetting that they knew it was a three year deal and then they put it to you and they put the pressure on you or put the pressure on the lawyer then, and they say, oh, well, can you get me out of this somehow because I don't want to wear these boots no more, they're uncomfortable and whatnot. Then you go down the rigmarole of a player then wearing the wrong boots and getting sanctioned or having to pay fines for wearing them. And it's, it gets into a very um, a very um, difficult situation. So I've, I've been in that situation as well. So it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, and I think but, then, uh, just echoing your point there, I've... I've been in the same situation where the player signed a deal at like 17, 18, I can't remember when, but he still had a year left on his contract. But mentally, he'd already said to himself, I'm not going to re-sign with this brand. And we were going to a shoot, um, which was away from the boot brand. And I specifically said to him, do not wear Nike trainers, because I knew that he loves Air Forces. He's going to wear those Nike trainers. Let me just tell him the night before, do not wear them, whatever you do. What happened? He turned up in them. I then get a message from one of my colleagues to say he's turned up in Air Forces. I left it for the day, but the next day I kind of just put it bluntly to him that one, you're risking no fine. Two, it's very unprofessional. And three, the brand that you want to go to isn't necessarily going to pay you if you're wearing their stuff already without kind of having a contract, this, that and the other. So think about this wisely and think about the long term. Me and him had a massive falling out over it. He, he to this day doesn't talk to me. No, and I'll tell you something on top of that, which I've explained to players as well, that it's not just that the brand won't pay you for that. Is If you're so willingly willing to break a contract and wear something that you're not supposed to, the brand that you want to go to are going to see that and say, do you know what? He's going to do the same with us when he's bored of us. So it can kill you both ways. It can kill you with the brand, the existing brand you're with, and also the brand that you're going to go to. Because if you can't comprehend or take in the rules of a contract that's going to happen everywhere that's a trait that you're showing very early which is also a, a warning sign that is a really good point and sorry if i'm quickly jumping in yeah so yeah. i think very important Femin, you said it correctly you have to be able to be very transparent and honest with your athlete if you don't if you're not able to do that to be very frank then this is an this is an athlete who i don't want to have on my roster Honestly, because if I can't speak openly to that person, 
if he doesn't understand that I that I have his back and I will always have his back and will fight my ass off for him, and and he doesn't see that, why the hell would I try to convince someone, yeah, that that I help him, and he's doing exactly the opposite? There's no point. And I always said it as well at Puma, and and that's my that's my personal opinion on everything. If the person doesn't want to listen and doesn't want to work um, together with me, there's no point in keeping someone just for the money. Then for that point, I always say that's where the greed of the industry comes in. That's just, again, my personal opinion. If you're really so dependent on, on money and, and to keep the athlete just talking uh, yeah, what you want to hear, there's no point, right? Then you're, again, morally, that's completely wrong. And I know that, of course, now people could say like, oh, yeah, that, that's a very, very moral point and you're trying to be a saint. But again, is that what you want to associate yourself with? Is that someone you want to work with? If you don't believe in the kid, if the, if the kid doesn't believe in you, where's the point? Honestly, that's why, as to your point, I, I really love the approach. And you know, that's the similar approach for me. If someone doesn't want to listen and wants to turn his back, please feel free anytime. I know, I totally agree. I think my motto has always been, if the person doesn't fit, the player doesn't fit, you know, because it, it, these are people at the end of the day. And if you cannot actually work with a person, then don't worry about the talent because it's going to clash and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to come to a halt at some time. So you're totally right. You're right. If the person doesn't fit, then the player doesn't fit. Yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. Hugo, was there something that you wanted to jump in a bit earlier on? Yeah, I was actually going to say, I think a part of my approach is, is to almost let themselves get burned a little bit. I mean, I think the amount of times I've said, they've asked, you know, like, what car deals have you got? Go to our preferred supplier. And they're like, well, this guy on Instagram will do it £100 cheaper a month. And I'm like, go on then. Go on and see what happens. See what happens. And like, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing where you've got to gain that trust, as we've already said, but you've got to, you've got to almost let them realise that you're, advice is worth taking as well sometimes. And I think if you're going, oh, no, please, I'll get them to a different price. I'll go this or this. It, it, you, you kind of weaken your own position. I'm like, no, we go with this supplier because they're vetted, because I've got good relationships with them, because they let you get out of it early, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to go with dodgy guy off Instagram, then go with it. But then understand that when you come back to me with problems in six months' time or three months' time, then this is the conversation we've had. Remember this conversation. I think it's 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 a really difficult balance to get in terms of trying to be honest, trying to be supportive and trying to let them do what they, you know, let them make the decision, but without sort of pandering to a point where you yourself look weak. Essen, can I maybe just ask a point back to to you then, if that's all right, which is, because I know um, everyone would be really interested in your insights too. You mentioned before about how, um, you know, you told it how it is to one, uh, one athlete and they haven't spoken to you since about that sort of, uh, that Nike example. Um, you know, how do you balance that um, expectation management side on the commercial side when you're dealing with brands on one side and, you know, talent on the other, managing that expectation, but also the dynamic of actually um, articulating what the, the value, um, how much that player's value is worth to a particular brand and manage the expectation that at the beginning of someone's career just because they've got x amount of followers doesn't necessarily mean that off-field value is going to be matched with their current on-field value yeah i think the point around articulating the message i think maybe in hindsight looking back at it and maybe didn't articulate it to him in the correct way i spoke to his mum before and i spoke to the agent before i said this is the issue we have 
and to Hugo's point, you you can't just keep saying yes. They are humans. They need to learn through mistakes as well. And that was a mistake he made, and he's now learned from that mistake, or I'd hope he's learned from that mistake. But the articulation of the point that you're trying to get across to them has to be done in the right way. Granted, maybe in hindsight, I didn't do it in the right way because his main gripe was the way it was said rather than maybe the message. So that's my bad, right? But when it then comes to the brand and kind of trying to articulate the value across to them, there's there's a fine balance between on-field value and off-field value. And the way the market's moving at the moment, it your on-field value just will not even replicate the slightest bit to your off-field value anymore. Blue brands are now starting to see that. You're starting to see that in terms of their rosters. They're trying to kind of like streamline them a, li- a little bit more. Um, there's less boot brand opportunities, but also there's now far bigger audiences in terms of like the Instagram influencers, YouTubers, esports gamers. There's an ample amount of com- competitors to, to these athletes, right? So you have to educate them on what the market is. I've recently had um, like an agent and a a father kind of speak to me that the player who was 16 and he's asking me for his commercial value. I mean, he's not one, he's not even playing in under 23s properly. He's not even playing in first team. So I think your priorities need to be on get, getting your name out there in terms of football ability, And then everything else comes after that. So if you can really kind of nail down the approach with the, the people around the player to say, look, your career goes in different stages. Your career, fundamentally, you need to be in the top 1% of your group of crop of players to make it as a professional footballer if you don't do that everything else is pointless the whole house of cards comes tumbling down so just focus on that and then everything else will focus on that once the time's right i always get this um kind of question put to me oh but he's not focusing on football actually the whole point is to have a team around you that take care of everything else that you can then focus on football Marcus Rashford isn't able to go and do everything that he wants to do while still performing if he didn't have a team around him fundamentally that that process needs to be nailed down first. Then the second part is, okay, how do we assign a value is ultimately based on market value and going market rates. You you often get um, agents coming into the market or just friends of players. They're the biggest problems that I have sometimes that I recently had one where the guy was asking me for five times the amount of brand was asking for and asked him, where'd you get this number from? And he went, oh, that's what I think he's worth based off of no information, no experience, no professional knowledge or anything. And you're kind of sitting there like, well, this, this, these are the problems that happen in the market. And these, this is why brands don't want to work with football is because of certain individuals that go around in the market asking for five, six times what the current value is. Just look at what market rate is. You go to the housing market, you go by market rate. If one person sending his house three times the amount and they, than his next door neighbor, they're going to go with their next door neighbor, aren't they? It's very simple business economics. Base it off of market value for what your off-field brand is worth. I might just ask one point there, S, as well. Um, well, two things. There's actually, I guess, a query about transparency on-field and off-field is one thing, but maybe it's also back to Michele, if I can ask Michele too, which is... You know, Essen actually made that exact point is that, you know, over the last two days, there's been uh, an FT football summit where um, Wilf Saha and uh, and Rashford have both been speaking on on their off-field campaigns and off-field passion points. You know, at at what point, Michele, does 
um, an agent or an agency move from, you know, servicing or for you as well, servicing the core service, which is getting a player a contract, a playing contract to, as we talked about that 360 view and that longer term strategy point. Is that when, you know, you, you, you've more or less can articulate that long-term off-field and on-field strategy as a combined, um, you know, ethos maybe, or as a combined vision that both of you take forward? I mean, for me personally, and that was also the approach back in the time, it's always when you take a player on board. I mean, when you sign a player, it's actually when the work starts, right? It's not, well, of course, all the pre-work you've done so far to get the signature under the contract is all nice, but the actual work starts when you sign him. So I personally think... Again, it's a huge responsibility which the agent actually has towards the player. Unfortunately, and again, to Mark's point, of course, that everyone is a, is a, there are not so many terrible agents out there. Of course, I think they're going to change anyway with the new regulations coming um, into place at some point soon. But I think it's a matter of sitting down with the athlete and actually asking him, what is your strengths? What do you like? Yeah, what is your, your passion point? What do you want to tell about yourself? Where do you see yourself in the next two, four, six years? And once you have that, well, obviously written down and as notes, then you can work out a strategy. And, and again, the, the, the approach should be that you work with, with human beings, with athletes or long-term, right? I personally don't have an interest in working with someone only for a year because it doesn't make sense because you see, well, all of a sudden the player is just developing in a, such a beautiful way and is just doing what you actually were envisioned for him. And then he's like, you know what? Now I have enough, so I want to leave. So if you do your job correctly, you're going to have a player like for yeah, as long as he is, well, whenever he's retiring, right? So for me personally, it's when you sign a player, you sit down and work out a strategy for the next, well, probably five to 10 years. So that's the vision after reviewing your notes. Yeah, and that's where we want to grow together into, right? Because otherwise, again, short-term things for me personally, are not really of value. So that that's my approach to it. So coming to the question of you, Dan, I think it's really important whenever you sign a player to have a vision in mind and of course, working it out in a long-term strategy. Ultimately, Michele there as well, and maybe just one for, for the rest of the guys too. You know, I think um, what, what I see in the industry as well is the pressure to deliver is enormous. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that uh, as an undersell. It's like I, I mentioned to various people how it, I feel sometimes how insecure the 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 football agency world actually is. Um, and I know we've talked about it at different times. When you're with obviously a very big um, agency like Rock as you are, and, and others around the country, around Europe. But maybe if I can maybe mention to uh, us, Mark and Fem, obviously you guys are. Um, uh, now at the moment, you know, not with the the, the big big um, agencies. How how do you feel? Like, what do you see in terms of like the 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 agency landscape? Is it um, is it something that you can compete with the big boys on? Is it something that um, you've taken that conscious step and decision to do certain things in certain ways? Mark, maybe you had, you had any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, um, the answer is you can compete. Um, you know, uh, I think the pandemic has caused a reset for everybody uh, and the larger agencies are looking at larger overheads. So everything is much more accountable. 
uh, and it is a business, um, but it's about the personalization because, you know, uh, the big agencies are great. Uh, there's, there's a lot of good people there. At the end of the day, it's, it's about people. You can have the best offices in the world. It's about who's looking after the player. And that comes down to the individual. So I think you can compete. And I think what you do is you find clients that, that want to work with you. Um, I agree with Michaeli about sort of setting a plan. I'd love to be able to set a 10-year plan for my players. I really would. I don't think I can. I'd love to have a crystal ball. But football isn't like that. It just changes. can literally can be day-to-day, week-to-week. But I think um, the agency world will change. I think there will be a fallout. I think there will be many agents that won't be able to sustain income. Um, you know, we're talking about the haves, not the have-nots. And the majority of footballers don't have boot deals, just to go on that. You know, we're talking premiership. You go down to League Two, uh, in the lower leagues, they buy their boots. There's no boot deals. So I think what we're doing is sort of looking at players. We're all looking at players to form an opinion to say that is a client that we think we believe as the clubs believe has a chance so we're going for that kind of elite player and that elite player could be an elite two academy is finding that player and as i say and i think mccade is right you sit with a 16 year old i don't talk about commercial to a 16 year old there's, there's no point it's not relevant go and play football son play your football don't chase the money. The money will find you. That's how it works. And if you if you get to that, it's then the transition from a youth player to first team. And that's the tricky bit. That's where the failure is. If you can make league football, now you've got a chance. And I think that's how it's sort of spoken to to families to say, calm down. I have two I have two lines on a graph. One is height, one is the reality. And the hype can be the social media, which it actually isn't very social these days. But you don't want to be hyped. It's your performance that actually will earn you a contract, not the hype. And how many of us know players that 16 years old were the boy? That's the lad. And where is he now at 20? He's not in football anymore. And so everybody's punting. The boot companies were punting, putting in big money into 15, 16-year-olds. And it's a risk. Same with agents. So it is a tough business, but I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think personalization, I look after a number of clients, as you know, uh, they're happy. And I'm not a big agency. So I think it can work for everybody. I think, yes, I think the smaller agencies can compete. And um, it just depends on the person and the player. You know, I think you have your meetings and you have your sit-downs with players and families. And you can kind of tell within the first 10 minutes if they want to walk into an office with massive shirts on the wall and a really amazing roster of clients or yeah, they can want an agent that has done big deals and can sit with them amongst the highest agents but at the same time don't have loads of players you know so I think it depends on their approach and the type of player and family and sometimes even where they're at in their career I think for a few of my clients who are pretty big or should I say very big they were with big agencies at first and I think they wanted to look at something different after or vice versa you know a lot of players will be in smaller agencies and they think, okay, I think I've outgrown this agency. I want to move on to a bigger one. So I think there's enough there's, 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 there's enough players for us all to get and we can compete for sure. I'm proof that we can compete. It just depends on the player and where they're at in their career. And of course, the actual person that you're dealing with. There's, I, could, I, could, 
I could be at a massive agency and I'll still have the same ways of working. So it will be the same thing as me being in or out of an agency, if you know what I mean. Well, my side of the industry, which is like the marketing and everything else that goes with it, I'm starting to see younger and younger players or their families trying to talk about these things. Like I've had a 14-year-old's dad email our info app, email address, asking for commercial work. Like There has to be a point where the buck needs to lie with the families that are around the players. I'm, I see it too often. People say, oh, but it was the agent. The agent seems to be like the easiest one to kind of just throw the shit out and just be like, oh, do you know what? It's your fault. It's your fault. This happened. The clubs then turn around and go, you know, your player, yeah, sort your player out. But actually, fundamentally, when you're at school, it's your parents' responsibility. Why Why is it sometimes that in football we don't look at the parents or the people that are the family around the player to say, actually, do you know what? Maybe something went wrong here where they chased the wrong thing or they didn't prioritise the right thing. I think you're buying into a family. And you become part of that family. So when I take uh, a, a meeting with a, a young player, I, I invariably meet the parents first. Um, the, the, they're the guardians. And one player I have at the moment who's, at, I would say, elite, he's 17. Um, I met the parents uh, three times in a year before I met him. And each, each time it was a kind of an interview, but we got closer and we got to understand each other and what the values we shared because they were entrusting their son with me. And I think that's really fundamental because then you can go on the journey together. I think some of these, so like, you know, meet somebody, you fall in love, let's get married and you're divorced within a year. So I think it does take time, but you do find similars, similars attract. And I think that's the key. You've got to be quite discerning about the type of, player you take on uh, with the family because it's an integral part of the journey I think one of the hardest things is when the family are a negative influence for various reasons and I, I've seen it where a dad's called a director of football and said his son should be the first team and the son the director of football's gone alright then we'll release him he can go find, you know, go find a first team in the Premier League we'll, we'll have him I've also seen kids on their first pro deal on 500 quid a week or whatever who've been pressured into a mortgage for mom, a car for dad, this and that, and they, you know, they're losing. They're in a massive amount of debt day one, and I think it's it's rare, but it's really really tough when you see that because you also see the on the other side how positive a family can be. But it's it's really hard to say, you know, listen, mate, you know, you're being taken advantage of here, or or mom and dad are putting all their hopes on a player and putting so much pressure on a player that at 17 that you know maybe of the same income as mum and dad together. And the amount of pressure on that player to succeed is is so, so high that, in fact, he doesn't start to enjoy his football. And that's that's really hard to see. Yeah, it's interesting as well, like Hugo, that you mentioned, like the families and Mark's point and Fem's point. It's almost you go from athlete management where you're trying to deal with one individual, which is the talent or directly the client, to family man- management or kind of dealing with all the politics that go around it. So sometimes... I think Mark mentioned it earlier on, which is people sometimes perceive an agent to just do one thing, which is get a new move or get a new contract. And ultimately, people think the job stops there. But the more I kind of see it from learning from like Mark's experiences or films, or sometimes when the agent puts it on us to say, okay, no, actually, you now deal with a family. You're actually dealing with five or six different people with five, six different objectives. That that's in the best case scenario where all the family is like cohesive and kind of together where you have parents that are divorced split up 
I've had one situation recently where the player wanted to do the commercial partnership. The dad wanted to do it, but because they're going through a divorce, the mum's now telling the player not to do it because the dad's wrong. But is she just doing that out of spite towards her ex-husband or is she doing that because she feels that because she's provided no rationale other than I don't want you to do this. So you end up managing a family sometimes, which no one ever signed up for. Yeah, I think if I can maybe fit in there as well, I think um, there's always uh, the easy answer that people see on the surface. And in a way, that's almost the the point of these discussions which has been which has been fantastic to a degree is Michele if maybe I can just push it back to you for a second just for your views on stuff is in the end um, and again we're talking about that fine line between trust and otherwise how how do you deal with um, with conflict Michele um, and maybe you can bring that out to a slightly wider audience too um, uh, to the rest of the guys too which is you've obviously been on the brand side where you're effectively, um, you know, the, the the giver of money, the endorser, and then um, coming into to, to the rock side, you're effectively uh, looking for the, um, the 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 right deals um, and the right opportunities. Now you're acting talent side. Um, when those conflicts come up um, between uh, brands and players, between clubs and players, you know, between all of the the, the family dynamics that can happen. Um, I know everybody's different and it's really hard to be a uh, generalist, but specific is, you know, what's, what, what's your general approach to how to deal with inflamed problematic situations, which I'm sure happen on a sort of daily basis. <laughs> I think we're all dealing with that on a daily basis, right? <laughs> exactly. I think, uh, I think very important is to keep calm, right? I think, um, unfortunately, and because obviously sports is very emotional, um, it's always important to to keep your own emotions in, in, under control because you don't make the situation even better when you react in a very, let's say, heat up um, situation and then trying just to accommodate anyone's needs. So I think really important is always to keep calm. Yeah, And um, one of the things I'm always saying is if someone is raising the, the voice, that's for me a, a sign of, of weakness because it means they can't help themselves any other than just raising the voice, right? It's in general... Um, the approach. So I'm trying always to, to play it down, to, to stay rational and to explain it rather than to impose it. So if there's any issue where, which occurred or, or with a brand or with an athlete or with, with whoever it might be, um, I always try to speak with a person directly. And again, there is no formula, no perfect formula for it because Someone needs maybe a little bit more time to digest. Someone needs immediate um, support. So that, that, that really depends on, on the person. But I think um, the general rule for me always is keep calm and try to calm down the situation with whatever I do. Totally agree. Totally agree, Michaela. I think also common sense. Um, I, I say it often to my clients and to their parents. The, you know, the three words, answer clubs, the three words that people really can't deal with is I don't no and players will say to me i don't know i don't know why the manager didn't pick me the father will ring me i don't know why he wasn't picked and some of it is well i can't answer it but we have to try and work out so i'm not the manager but we have to try and work out how we deal with it so does the player go in and speak to the manager the following morning there are ways we can do it in a sensible measured fashion and that's really what it is. It's staying calm. As, as, as Michaela said, you have to. This is a crazy business. You know, you don't have every day the same. 
it's exciting. And for all those guys that, and girls that are listening, it's a great business to be in. You know, if you love football, if you love sport, brilliant. But it is challenging. And it's just staying rational all the way through because you're at the epicenter of it. You're the support network. I feel like, as I've said it, I'm a doctor on call 24-7. You know, if, if one of my boys wrapped his car around a tree, which he one did at 5.30 on a Sunday morning, he didn't call his dad. He called me. And that's what we have to deal with. So I think there's lots of really good things. But as I say, being uh, measured, uh, being rational, thinking it through, waiting to work it out, because there's different ways you can skin it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's straightforward with, with lots of curves. Maybe just something for Essen and obviously also for um, for Mark and Fem as well. And maybe if I would just maybe turn to Fem you first. Um, in the current climate that we're that we're in, and we have had and we've been in for the last year or so, where it seems like everything that we've talked about is revolving around personal relationships, interaction, face to face stuff, trust. Um, everything that um, you'd base sort of normal human characteristics on at a time when I, I see the irony in what we are doing. We are speaking um, on audio in a digital uh, chat room rather than um, face-to-face or by way of an audience. How have you guys managed to be able to maintain um, those personal relationships at a time when football is still going on? But the best, really, the way we're able to do it at a fan and at a professional level is watch it on TV. And then also to deal with all of the stuff that is cropping up, all of the problems, insecurities, um, difficulties that society is facing always that becomes a sort of um, epicenter um, uh, and a catalyst in the football space. So, Fem, have you, you know, has there been particular ways that you've managed to, to deal with what's obviously a very difficult time for everyone, but, but you know, for your clients as well? It's been, it's been very tough, if I must admit. It's been very, very tough. And one word, technology, if I'm honest with you. I, I don't think I've been on so many video calls in my life that I've been in in the last year. You know, and I think it's whether that be FaceTime or Zoom or Microsoft Teams or what else. I know I try to make it a habit to speak to everybody face to face at least once a week, you know. And then on top of that, of course, watching games and sending feedback and still being there without being there. And I think that helps a lot. The biggest problem is um, players, because of the pandemic and clubs are out of money, players that are no longer attached to clubs and they're good players and they'll, in any other circumstance, they'll be at a club. But because clubs haven't got a lot of money and they've made so many cutbacks, it's now keeping them keeping them motivated. That's been a very difficult one, you know, because when a player's playing football, even if there's fans or there's no fans, they're still they're still kind of happy because at least they're doing the sport that they love. But the players that are out of clubs, and it's very difficult even when you're trying to get players into trials, younger players, and there's so much COVID protocol that you're waiting for five or six weeks just to get into the club. That's been difficult. It's been a challenge. It's been a really big challenge. But the only, the only, the only thing I can say to them is we're all going through it. You know, in all works of life and all industries, it's not just football. And thank God, a lot of them are understanding of that because they can see maybe their mum might be out of work or their brother or sister or somebody's out of work. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's been the toughest time ever. You know, um, another indicator of that was when this window here, when a, a few deals that I done. And I couldn't actually be there. And if I'm honest with you, there was a one deal that I done where I literally went down with the player to do a deal, and um, he had a COVID test, 
and I drove him down and he got a positive. So then I had to isolate for 10 days or whatever, whatever it was at the time. So again, I was stuck at home. I couldn't complete any of the other deals face to face. It had to all be through technology. So yeah, it's been difficult. It's been very difficult. It's a, it's a really interesting one there, Fem. And I think, um, yeah, it highlights a number of the different difficult practicalities. If I, yes, if I could maybe ask you just a similar one in a slightly difficult, well, same, but different context as well, is that you've obviously got relationships with a number of, you know, high profile um, talent um, across um, across the entertainment space generally. You know, h- how have Be Engaged and Hyphen, your production company, been able to pivot away from, um, you know, large-scale productions or large-scale commercial activity activations at a time when over the last year or so it's been very difficult you know really to keep a business going and to be able to thrive with those continual brand relationships how, how have you managed to maintain those personal connections obviously only through only through digital means yeah i mean it's it's been massively challenging because as soon as the pandemic hit we were one of the ones which were just we lost a lot of work very early on so ultimately you've you're in the shit from the get-go so it wasn't like um a few drips off here there and everywhere and then by the time summer came you you then had to look at it then we were pretty much like right okay cool lockdown started we've lost a lot so we really need to be quite agile from here on in so like massively reliant on the team to be able to have that open mind and if it wasn't for our team to be always looking at new methods to do things like literally every week we would have a new technology that we were trying it was literally trial and error every single week till we got to a point where we were comfortable with what we were working with that we could then position it out to our clients to say okay we have a solution rather than just always being like oh we can't do this because of covid we can't do this because of covid um my team will always know that we always have this mantra solutions not problems so let's take a solution and it was ultimately trial and error through so many different virtual recording systems like we were able to shoot a, a pez advert a tv advert over zoom because we were using the production team from the football clubs and we were directing them over zoom so ultimately we had charlie sitting there on zoom telling the the players where to move and they're all so confused because there's language barriers there's he doesn't know where he's pointing to that it was very, very difficult, but everyone understood, which was mm, a huge onus was on the players to understand what everything was going through because players sometimes aren't the easiest to work with. And I think we all know that. They turn up for a commercial appearance or whatever it might be. They don't really want to be there. They really want to do it as quickly as possible. But then you've got this guy on Zoom in God knows where telling you to move to the left, but it's actually his right and them being understanding and being open to, okay, we understand this is a tough situation. And they made a laugh and a joke out of it on the other end. Um, So being able to be agile was one of the key things that helped us. But I also think in hindsight, suffering massively through March, April, May allowed us to have have a system and kind of foolproof way of working throughout the rest of the year. So I think if we weren't hit so hard in the first few months, we probably wouldn't have been able to get to where we are today by shooting or delivering the numerous amount of campaigns that we've been able to do over that period of time. But also, if it wasn't for the team, we'd never be able to do it because no matter what happened, they were up till early hours at night just making sure that we were able to do what we, we set out to do. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, 
wasn't sure as to whether you had any um, more questions for for the guys on the panel. I'm conscious we've been going. It feels like it hasn't been too long, almost um, 70 minutes. I'm not sure whether we quite get to the 90-minute mark, but um, I think for our first clubhouse, it hasn't been um, too bad a start so far. Yeah, no, no more questions from my end. It's just um, that this series is here to stay. It's not just like one thing for us. So I know myself and Dan, we've got maybe 10, 11, 12 different topics that we want to talk about each week. And each week there'll be different guests. So next week we've got um, Matt Gordon, who works with us and works with the likes of Jaden Sancho, Deli Ali on, on their content creation, but he also works with the likes of Adidas and Pepsi on their on their content pieces. And then Charlie Hoare as well, who heads up our hyphen studios and he was the genius behind uh, Hector's unseen documentary. So the I guess the topic for next week is all around creating content for brands and athletes and we've probably got two of the best guys to be able to speak to on on that. No, it's brilliant. And all all I would say is um on on that point, which is firstly thanks everyone for joining. Secondly, if there are particular topics or things you wanna um hear more about and ping us um uh some details on, then we're always open to having those discussions. And um yeah, Hugo, Mark, Fem and McKelly, obviously thanks so much for, for joining us. Um it was brilliant. And um you know, we're all learning on this clubhouse lock, but I've really enjoyed just a bit of the interaction of it all. And it's been, um, yeah, a great start. So S, well done for uh, deciding this was a good thing to do. Yeah, well done, S. Well done, S. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundee football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundee an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes lastly podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand i've started all proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by john Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years you can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt hoodie cap or all three please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk that's 13shop.co.uk Thanks for listening.